This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. drive throughs let you stay seated. Oh, I don't want to have to get out. And singing in your car while getting your food. Excuse me, you're number one with the coat? <laughs> Thank you. Enjoy. All right. drive throughs have been around on the American scene since the mid-20th century, thanks to the rise of American car culture and the highway system. And their dominance is growing. Today, get this, there are an estimated 200,000 drive throughs nationwide. But what used to sound like this... Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? <laughs> starting to sound... More like this. Hi, what can we make fresh for you today? AI chatbots are taking orders at a small but growing percentage of drive throughs And that's just one way that innovation is changing what it means to grab and go in your car. Today we're talking about the rising popularity and the controversy around the evolving all-American drive through experience. And of course, we're going to be hearing from you. I have great memories working as a drive through attendant at McDonald's and talking to all of the really cute football players from my high school as they came through to order their Mickey D's for the day. I think all drive throughs should be outlawed. Apparently, we're willing to foul the environment in order to have convenience and address our laziness. A handful of U.S. towns and cities in America have banned new drive throughs or are thinking about doing it. Minneapolis did it in 2019, so we'll hear from an official there later on. But first, we want to get to the history of the drive through and why Americans keep pulling up for more. I'm Todd Zwillick, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. We've got a lot to get to. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics. With vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. With thousands of options under $20,000, plus customizable financing terms and down payments as low as $0 down, it's easy to find a car that fits your lifestyle. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today. Terms and conditions may apply. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Pulling up to the first window is Adam Chandler. He's a journalist and author of drive Through Dreams, A Journey Through the Heart of America's Fast Food Kingdom, and he joins us from Yonkers, New York. Adam, welcome to 1A. Thanks for having me, Todd. Uh, great to have you. And with us from New York City, Jamie Richardson. He's the vice president of White Castle. Jamie, thanks for being here. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, great to have you both. So, Adam, a, a, a growing number of drive through restaurants are using AI to take customer orders. How common is this now? It's not quite as common as you'd think, uh, but it is it is growing. We're seeing a lot of pilots. We're seeing a lot of interesting experiments going on. And the results so far have been pretty good. Pretty good in what way? 
there's a lot of accuracy, and I'm sure Jamie can speak to this a bit because I know White Castle is doing some interesting stuff with um, their chatbot, but they've managed to hone in the technology enough to pick up accents to to be bilingual, to customize orders, and generally speaking, they've seen some success. It's obviously far from perfect, but uh, it's more advanced than I think we all thought it would be at this hmm. point. All right, well, we're going to get into... AIs at the fast food window. We're going to get into upselling. We're going to get into, of course, employment ethics and who that AI might be taking a job from. But Jamie, first, I got to say to you, I researching for this hour, I was surprised to learn that White Castle fries come in more than one size. That was I didn't expect to find that. <laughs> yeah, with with uh, appropriate respect for the Beastie Boys, you know. <laughs> it's still about empowering the people and feeding the souls of Craver generations. All right. <laughs> you yeah. can, you can order your fries in more than one size at White Castle. You guys have, as Adam mentioned, an AI bot taking orders about uh, 15 locations across 342 total nationwide. Um, your AI is called Julia, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Name for Julia Joyce, who, who Adam actually mentioned in his book, Drive Through Dreams. But Julia was our first uh, hostess, and um, she specialized in, in sharing uh, menu suggestions for White Castle. So it seemed like a, a fun idea to have Julia be the voice of our, our drive through mm-hmm. assistant. What obstacles have you encountered in, in putting Julia into the ordering system so far? Uh, I think with anything new, um, a lot of learning. So early on, Julia wasn't able to listen as intently and wasn't able to get to that order accuracy, which is the the piece that our team members love, um, that we're getting a lot of progress there, and our customers love that too. At least that's what they're telling us so far. So, But, you know, like anything, we didn't know how many different ways uh, people ordered their White Castles. So um, there was a lot of learning. It happened pretty quickly. And happy to say um, it seems like uh, it's being really, really well received. Mm-hmm. Adam, um Julia handles some of the orders at White Castle for the little burgers and the and the fries in many sizes. Um, we've encountered in, in looking at AIs at fast fast food across America, most of them tend to present as female voices. Is that how it generally goes? So far, that's what I've seen, and that that kind of tracks across different industries where you have assistants or um, AI chatbots or some kind of uh, artificial figure. For the company, it is oftentimes uh, named for a woman. Hmm. And, and the voice presents like a woman. Why do, why do you think that is? I mean, if it's at fast food, I, I have the answer. For some reason, people believe that if it presents as a female voice, I'm going to spend more money, right? That's absolutely possible. I'm sure there are a lot of behavioral economists who could dig into the specifics of this. But um, I, I think... Some of it is gendered in a good way, and some of it's gendered probably in a bad way. Um, I think I think there's a lot of conditioning socially for um, us to respond as people to um, suggestions, and that has a gendered component to it. But uh, I don't have a really good answer for it. I wish I did. Um, Jamie, you want to get in here? I, you told us about the name Julia, but why did you guys choose um, a, a, a female voice? You know, as a family-owned business has been around for 102 years, actually, we were more inspired by the fact we were in love with the history of Julia Joyce, and it felt like a good fit. And so, um, you know, we partner with Soundhound on this, and um, we we thought about a range of different voices. Um, it's where we landed. It felt the most friendly, um, and off to a good start. Um, Jamie, you, you mentioned a, a good response at White Castle to putting in the AI. What about the workers? What about the people who work for you, whose job it is to take those orders? Um, 
does it take the load off of a worker or did somebody lose their job? No, it absolutely is about empowerment. And to set the record straight, at least from a White Castle perspective, we have absolutely not replaced one person with any investment in technology, just like we didn't when we put in new register systems or we put in a new um, Coca-Cola fountain. So for us, it's something where it allows us to have that heart for hospitality, let that shine a bit more. And we've been certified a great place to work for the third year in a row. We're the only fast food brand that's achieved that. So I think for us, we're really fortunate. You know, more than one in four of our team members have been with us 10 years. And they tell us, because we ask them before we do anything, that anything that takes some of the the more challenging parts of the job um, off the table and lets them concentrate on things like order accuracy and working together behind the counter is a positive. All right, Adam, well, you visited a Hardee's in Maryland that takes orders using AI. Thank you for choosing Hardee's. What can we get started for you today? May I please have a Frisco single with lettuce and a Coke Zero? Sure. (laughs) There's an old bit that we were listening to in the newsroom here of a guy trying to order a double cheeseburger, onion rings, and a large orange drink. It's from back in my childhood and basically sounds like... This, This sounds a lot better than that. Just barely. I mean, there's nothing more embarrassing than having your uh, your your order outed. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I was actually trying to stump the chat bot there by adding in lettuce, which isn't part of the normal Frisco burger at Hardee's. Mm. Um, and I also didn't order a combo, which upset the chat bot a little bit um, because I ordered two of two two of three items of a combo. And that threw it for a loop and uh, an employee had to step in and finish the order, which wasn't a problem at all. I actually spoke to her and she was extremely nice. And I asked her what she thought of the chatbot, And she said, it's actually a really huge help. It, take, it does take some of the effort um, of the drive through, which is a pretty stressful part of the equation when you, when you um, from my experience speaking with fast food workers, uh, that is actually one of the toughest jobs there is. Mm. So in this way, I think there is a really positive aspect to this. It is interesting that you were able to sort of confuse it, though, with a with a slightly off-center order. Right, right. Um, I mean, I, I'm always confused when I go to the drive-through lane, so it, it just feels like it's some. It's a nice balance to the universe that um, I'm able to confuse somebody else. Well, we got this email from Eric in Texas. Jamie, I think this is for you. The reason any company replaces a human in a customer service role with a robot is to save money, plain and simple. It's not about improving the customer experience. It's about the bottom line. Um, Jamie, what do you think? Well, if you're going to be in business, you do have to look at the bottom line, but you don't have to do that by cutting people. So for us, it's about (laughs) we'll do better and and be more financially successful if our order accuracy is better, if our customer satisfaction is better. And candidly, the biggest improvement we've made over the past 15 years is in our uh, tremendous loyalty of our team members by continuing to focus on that. So if we take care of our people, then um, chances are they're going to stick around. So I don't disagree that it's important at the end of the day, if you want to stay in business, you have to be successful. But the way to do that doesn't require that you uh, uh, not take care of your people and do a good job that way too. Mm. Let's take a quick pause here. When we come back from this short break, we'll get into the environmental impact of all those idling cars in line and where does AI fit into all this? Back with more. Just a moment. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? 
Well, you know, it was 2020, and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research, on, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling, trying to find humanity, or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, between 2019 and 2022, drive through traffic rose 30%. Meanwhile, in-person dining at fast food restaurants fell by nearly half. Now, that time was also when we had COVID-19 lockdowns and a hesitancy about dining indoors. But drive through use stayed high even after in-person dining returned. That's all according to the food research firm Techmonic. Jamie, how much of a bump in drive through traffic has White Castle seen in recent years? It's been really interesting because during lockdown, of course, only drive throughs were open. So, But we did see that percentage of our sales go from about 70% to closer to 80% these days. So, But um, dining rooms are important too. And I think, uh, you know, we're there for people whenever and however they crave. And one of the things that's really happening in the industry right now is a lot of delivery as well. So it remains to be seen how big that becomes or where that stays at over time. But um, it's always shifting and changing. And um, the significance of the drive through definitely hasn't dissipated. Mm. Adam, what do you think is the business that's driving? Obviously, we said COVID-19 was a huge part of it. I think in a lot of parts of the economy, the in-person economy in many ways hasn't rebounded to pre-COVID levels. But um, what do we know about the economy of drive-through? I I think if I were running a a Burger King, I would love to have just a box that sends everything out for Postmates, everything out for delivery, everything out for – everything in for drive-through and not worry about the dining room at all if I could do it. Right, right. It is. Um, there's a lot of innovation, a lot of tech driving this movement, and some of it has to do with the apps. A lot of, and I, I don't mean the appetizers. I, I mean <laughs> the apps on your phone for uh, for White Castle, for Chick Fil A, for McDonald's. They're really uh, they're really sophisticated. You're able to customize your orders. You're able to order ahead, um, and those are things that I think people have gotten used to. And the pandemic kind of locked in those behaviors. So I think that's one big part of it. The, the, the technology has gotten better. It's not just AI chatbots. It's also ordering delivery through third-party apps or using the apps themselves of restaurants and um, being able to do things that you may not have previously done in person. I know I always feel like a jerk when I customize my order because I feel like it's making things more complicated. But if I do it on the app, I feel like I'm, I'm somehow saving a step. In doing that. So I, I think that that's part of the, the experience that carries over it's into this. Interesting. You don't want to be the guy, that guy sitting there in yeah, your car never, with the window rolled down, like guy. going back and forth, and there's like 19 people behind you? Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of, a lot of guilt in that moment. 
Jamie, do you thrive on that guilt? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we're here. If we were writing a rock opera about it, we'd uh, use Bridge Over Troubled Water. We're there to remove the barriers and make it easier. But you don't have, Jamie, you don't have special orders at White Castle, or do you? Uh, we do. I mean, you know, uh, now and then people will say no onions and, and they're, they're steam grilled on a bed of onions, but we can remove the onions and, you know, there can be extra pickle or, you know, things like that. So um, certainly people have the ability to customize, but there mm. is an elegance to the menu overall, to your point. What did you think about what Keith had to say about the fries? Um, the, the fries are a very important experience. If you dine in, your fries are always crispy because they're hot out of the fryer. You take them right to the seat. If you're in the car, you do have a dilemma because the fries are going to be garbage by the time you get home, let's face it. So in terms of the diner experience, where do you come down on when to eat the fries or how well your fries keep for the drive through customer? Somewhere, someday in the future, a Nobel Prize will be awarded for fry portability improvements. But I think everyone's trying to crack the code on that. But they are best eaten uh, fresh, you know, versus uh, they, they just don't transport as well um, for, for anyone, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, there's a, there's a sequence in terms of how to best enjoy your food. And fries uh, just, uh, they, they don't hold the heat quite as long or they get a little wilty. It will be interesting to see the effect of the air fryer um, because so many more homes have an air fryer they can – Give them a little uh, extra love when they get home and, and have pretty close to restaurant experience. All right, well, this is clearly a whole second hour here on 1A. I mean, we're gonna, the air fryer hour is coming for the for fry quality across America. Jamie, we'll, we'll have you back. Um, Adam, we're super focused on fast food drive-through and with, and with good reason, but fast food is not the only place by far that does drive-throughs across America. I mean, funeral homes – have drive-through liquor stores in the South. I've been to brew-throughs in North Carolina more than once. How wide a range of, of drive-throughs have you encountered in your adventures? A lot. Uh, I grew up in Texas, which is you know very much car forward in in the experience of of life there. You drive everywhere, and so in that way, going through the drive-through isn't polarizing or controversial in in a way that I think it is in other parts of the country where there's less of that car culture. But you know, I'm. I'm old enough to remember when you used to drop off your film to get your photos processed at a drive-through uh, photo processing place. And this was a shift that kind of happened in the 1980s where a um, combination of two-income households and a crunch for time made it so that convenience became a bigger part of the, the, the sort of American experience. And you saw pharmacies and banks and drive-throughs became the the uh, majority of the orders processed in fast food in the 1980s flipped from being in, in dining rooms to drive-thrus in the late 1980s. And so you started seeing all of these kind of changes happen culturally. Cup holders became standard in cars in the early 90s. Um, and it really kind of trickles into all sort of sorts of kind of fascinating parts of American culture and the consumer landscape when you think about it. What is a drive-through funeral home? Really, I, I I think I've heard of it. I've never seen one, and we were talking about it earlier today. And we're like, can you not get out of your car for this? I mean, you know, uh, I think those are rare, um, and they may they, there may be fewer of them than than they initially started in the uh, late '80s and early '90s as well. But um, for people who are on the go and wanted to pay their respects really quickly, that was an opportunity. And respects, you, know, you say? <laughs> yeah, even just a fleeting bit of respect, I suppose. You know, it's. Um, I, it's better than I none. Can't ex- I, I can't explain it. Yeah, I can't explain it. But What's the weirdest you know, drive-through concept that you've encountered? The funeral home is, it kind of takes the cake, I have to say. Um, I, I, I have seen um, 
you know, the, the drive the drive through liquor stores are fascinating for me, just kind of intellectually to grasp with. Um, but um, I'm trying to think of one that stands out. That I mean, really I think, isn't. I think back in the day, you could get a mixed drink in the South yes. at a drive through. You didn't have to get a sealed case of beer. You could get a drink. Right. Absolutely. In Absolutely. your car. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I think that's still legal in a couple of states. Um, okay. So we're, we're not we're not we're not through that yet. Um, Jamie from White Castle, uh, robots are another area of innovation that you guys are putting into restaurants. Um, tell me about Flippy. <laughs> Flippy at the Fryer is a, a partnership with Miso Robotics, and so Flippy uh, works the inside fry station, and as orders come in. Uh, Flippy will prepare the order and get it ready for the team members to package. But and we've got Flippy in about 15 restaurants. So, um, you know, we're still family owned after 103 mm-hmm. years, but we're kind of uh, leaning into some new things and it's it's been fun and good for us. So you've got uh, Julia at the drive out window. You've got Flippy at the fryer. Um, Jamie, I hear you that these innovations are not designed to replace workers. They're not designed to take anybody's job and they haven't done so yet. But I also hear you saying that there's automation in multiple parts of the restaurant, and I just I, I got to know that eventually somebody isn't working there. You know, here, here's what we've encountered so far, and we've been into this about three years now. We keep adding people, and anyone in fast food and in the restaurant business who isn't looking for more people um, probably isn't being completely um, transparent because – um, we're trying to find um, folks all the time. So we're fortunate because we've got a base of people who have been with us many, many years, about 25% of that core. But um, it's, it's um, for some a part-time job or, you know, so there's a fluidity to it. So we really don't see it being something that's going to be detrimental to employment, mm. um, at least not in our experience. Well, there, there definitely is a labor shortage right now. There's no question about that. I guess I wonder... 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the line when we're all still enjoying White Castle, um, what that's going to look like. But but we'll see. Um, Adam, how are robotics being used at, at other firms besides uh, Flippy at White Castle? Are there other examples? There is always uh, a fair amount of tinkering going on in, in, the, in the robotics field. And in particular, what we're seeing and what I'm hearing a lot about is just how you can find newer and quicker shortcuts for you know, a entire industry that's built on speed. So there are things that are kind of being tested and deployed, but, um, you know, nothing, nothing that's really taken to a different, in a, in a different direction from what's already kind of out there right now mm. is, I, I guess, the best way to say it. Is it true that the, the two-way speaker was invented for the drive-thru? Is that where that innovation took place? Yes. Uh, Harry Snyder, the founder of In-N-Out Burger, um, was... In, in the classic California way, he, he built a two-way speaker in his garage, and that's how he deployed it for In-N-Out Burger. And when In-N-Out Burger first started, it was drive-through only. There wasn't a dining room. So, um, you know, the iconic, the iconic inside of an In-N-Out Burger with the long lines uh, wasn't part of the equation until later. And that, I think, is part of why people credit In-N-Out with being the first drive-through, but uh, that is contested as much fast food history and culinary history is contested. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but first, here's a message that we got from one of you. I've always avoided them because I think they wait too long, and it occurred to me in in just the last few weeks that I wondered what would happen if we banned them. When we return, we'll talk about cities that have taken that step or are considering doing it. And we'll hear from the planning director of Minneapolis, which banned new drive throughs 
in 2019. Back with more in just a moment. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. We're talking about the rising popularity of drive throughs nationwide, but some of you just are not fans. This is David in Columbia, South Carolina. Recently, my city has been going through a building boom of drive through coffee shops, among other things, and I find them to be quite hostile as someone who likes to walk and ride my bike around town. The traffic going in and out of drive throughs is often stopped across pedestrian and bike infrastructure, often distracted with mobile app orders, et cetera, et cetera. Generally, drive throughs are the only late-night food option and often will not allow you to walk or ride your bike through the drive through which is just another way of othering people who choose not to drive or who can't drive. Now, David, you are not alone there in Columbia, South Carolina, among Americans who notice the detrimental impact of drive through in their community. Golden, Colorado is studying what impact a drive through ban might have on their city. And in August, the Atlanta City Council voted to prohibit drive throughs in the pedestrian-friendly Beltline area of the city. They're all following Minneapolis, where new drive throughs were banned citywide in 2019. The planning director of Minneapolis, Meg McMahon, spoke to us. She explained why the city took that step. Idling vehicles, particularly those waiting in lines at drive through facilities, um, that they have harm, cause harm on the environment. So they waste gas, it uh, has a negative impact on air quality, and it increases greenhouse gas emissions. And so um, the city has a, a very strong climate action policy plan. Um, and so there was really an intent to improve air quality and improve environmental conditions. But additionally, when you're looking at just the space that's needed to accommodate drive-throughs is pretty significant relative to, um, you know, just a typical uh, parking lot situation, right? So you have to have queuing space for for excess vehicles. You have to have additional curb cuts because those vehicles, the way they circulate in the site, they need to get in and out. Um, And all of that creates a a negative effect on the environment, on people's experience of of the place on stormwater and ability to manage that stormwater properly, right? So there's there's um, a, a multitude of negative impacts that are caused by um, the need for um, uh, all the, 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 that additional space. And then you've got, you know, lighting and noise and litter um, that, are, that are also negative impacts that we see. And frankly, you know, the city had had some contentious neighborhood situations with drive-throughs where um, folks in real time, we're having some negative effects from living next door or near these places. Uh, and I think that was seen as uh, a way to to try to mitigate that for, for everyone. I mean, I'm sure that the fast food industry, look, it's built on get them in, get them out. 
they like to do business <laughs> their way, as they say. What does the balance look like to to balance all of these concerns that you're talking about, especially environmental and pedestrian safety, with economic growth and the ability yeah. of these do, these businesses to thrive? And I know you want them to hire people. So how how does the balance get struck there? Sure. I mean, I think one thing that we don't prohibit and, in fact, encourage are curbside pickup opportunities. And so during the pandemic, this came up again. There was a kind of a, a, a I guess, a, a desire to revisit our drive-through policies um, and to look at if they were um, you know, harming businesses and their ability and for, and for people's safety, right, to be able to, to get the products that they needed in a safe way. And what we found is that that curbside pickup, where you have a vehicle that comes in and parks in a in a in a designated parking space, um, many of the negative impacts that are associated with um, a drive-through don't occur in that case. The vehicle isn't doesn't have to idle like it does in a drive-through situation. Um, you don't need additional curb cuts. It doesn't require additional pavement. Um, and so uh, we specifically within our ordinance are very clear that curbside pickup is not considered within the definition of a drive-through. It's allowed. Um, during the pandemic, our public works department would hood um, meters on the street to allow for additional space for people to um, pull up and have curbside drop, you know, pick up and drop off occur. Um, and so I think that's that's been the way we've we've tried to find balance um, with businesses and to to really encourage them to utilize those types of services. Um, that still meet the needs of the customer um, without without the negative environmental and and design impacts that 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 the drive-throughs have. I gotta guess, not to single them out, but I'm going to. I have to. That makes the McDonald's and the Wendy's and the BKs and the whoever else is of the world pretty upset about what's going on in Minneapolis. I mean, this is the way they do business. Um, you've had a have you had a hard time with them? We we haven't. I would say I, there's been surprisingly little pushback hmm. um, on this ordinance. So we have existing Burger Kings and McDonald's and and all you know all of, all of the rest um, that that exist in the community. And I would say um, that they're you know so they have operating drive-throughs that they're currently utilizing. Um, and in a lot of cases, we have, it's kind of almost the reverse. You have community members who are upset because those businesses maybe aren't allowing dine-in because of the pandemic and sort of the tail of that. And so they, they're they wanting all the customers to come through a drive-through um, situation and not opening up their dining rooms. And um, we have community members who are wanting the city to do something to, to you know, require them to open up and to allow in in seating. We we aren't hearing the reverse um, of folks who are wanting to see more drive-throughs in their community. That was Meg McMahon, planning director of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, Jamie, your reaction to what Me- Megan McMahon in Minneapolis was saying there about their ban, um, have you been frustrated at all? You want to do business in Minneapolis and been foiled? And, and what's your reaction to her concerns, that community's concerns about the environmental and safety impacts of drive-through? Yeah, well, I think that startlingly, I have a, a, a contrarian point of view. Um, I think primarily because of two key groups, um, our team members and our customers, because they've told us that they, they crave the convenience of the drive-through. Um, our team members certainly benefit from that. 
through the jobs we provide. And while on paper it might seem uh, okay to say, oh, we'll just have everybody come in, um, as we talked about uh, in the show, uh, that's not reality in terms of people's preference. So uh, maybe our next film should be our, our own version of It's a Wonderful Life, but imagine a world without a drive through <laughs> what it would look like, because uh, it's something that's become a staple for so many people. And candidly, um, the tougher thing is, for cities like Minneapolis who make that decision, you don't see the immediate effect because, as indicated, not every uh, drive through gets closed that's already in operation, but it will dry up quickly as others don't even look to expand or grow. So uh, it gets stagnant real fast. Um, our thought has always been about uh, hot, tasty, affordable food. That's why we were founded. Our founder believed that you shouldn't have to be elite to, to have to go to a restaurant. And that's at the base of our metaphysics. That's the... the uh, that's really our primary focus and um, providing as much of that as we possibly can. <laughs> we'll dig at Megan McMahon and the city planners in Minneapolis for maybe being elitist, but that is one city with a new policy, not banning fast food uh, drive through altogether, but new expansions of drive through Existing drive throughs are there, new ones are not. Um, Adam, your uh, view on what we heard from Minneapolis about a new drive through ban because of emissions, uh, traffic and safety, and also um, Jamie's take on it limiting access, frankly, to, to working people and, and cheap, easy food. Yeah, I, I, hate, to, I hate to be uh, kind of a squish on this, but I, I agree with both, both of these uh, perspectives, <laughs> in part because th- this conversation needs to be nuanced a little bit. You know, we can point our fingers at something like the fast food industry, but 75% of Americans at least commute to work by car. We lack the time and um, sometimes the money to plan a big meal, to go shopping, to do all the things that you have to do to eat from day to day. And so I think limiting the access to that is troublesome in a lot of ways. And, um, but yeah, obviously the environmental concerns are huge, but I, I just, I, I also think that we probably work too hard and we, um, rely on cars in ways that um, fast food industry is kind of stepping in to fill a gap. That's basically how it was born. It was born of car culture. It was born of the highway system. It was born of the suburbs being built into income households. That's that's the genesis in a lot of ways of the fast food industry. So um, I think it's I think it's an effect, not a cause. Um, mm. And we should we should think more. I don't know carefully about how we frame it. Jamie um, Harold and Kumar. Go to White Castle could not have been made without the car. I mean, they go on an adventure, an American adventure in their car. Stop at more than one, I think, fast food drive through along the way before they get to uh, their nirvana, which which is your place. Um, have you encountered, though, any pushback on the environmental end? Have bans or consideration of bans gotten in your way of doing business? Is this something your business has confronted in the real world? Yeah, I think for us, when we think about where we grow, um, we grow slowly because we're not franchised, we're all family owned. And as a result, we're very selective about those those places. So, you know, we're going to lean towards um, those welcoming communities who uh, want us to be there. Um, so they don't all have to go on a Harold and Kumar style pilgrimage to get to the castle. <laughs> but um, so, and you know, for what it's worth, I'd love to invite Megan to come and visit one of our castles in Minneapolis. So uh, we, I'll, I'll meet her there. We can work a drive through shift together. Um, be fun. Um, you know, we, we want to be balanced too. And always leaning into what we can do better for our communities, our environment, and, and the larger world. But in the meantime, we're, we want to primarily make sure we take care of our customers and our 
team members. Well, if that happens, definitely let us know. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us. Absolutely delicious and crispy conversation. Jamie Richardson is the vice president of White Castle. Adam Chandler is journalist and author of Drive Through Dreams, a journey through the heart of America's fast food kingdom. Today's producer was Avery Jessa Chapnick. And this program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington. It is distributed at the window by NPR. I'm Todd Zwillick. Let's talk again soon. This is 1A. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com slash NPR to get 10% off your first month. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.